0: Welcome to the Buddha Sasana podcast. This talk was given by Biku Chintita in Chisago City, Minnesota. Today I want to take up the Satipatthana exercise that investigates, verifies, and internalizes the Dhamma teaching of the seven factors of awakening. The awakening factors actually track Satipatthana contemplation itself, and their contemplation develops total familiarity with these factors as the scaffold of our practice. Recall that a couple of weeks ago, we discussed the five hindrances, which also involve contemplation of factors that are related to Satipatthana practice. Examining, verifying, and internalizing our understanding of these factors in either case will help us develop, control, or wield these factors more skillfully in our practice. Let me start with the text of this exercise. Again, bhikkhus, a Bhiku abides contemplating dhammas and dhammas in terms of the seven awakening factors. And how does a Bhiku abide contemplating dhammas and dhammas in terms of the seven awakening factors? Here, there being the proficiency awakening factor in him, Abiku comprehends there is the proficiency awakening factor in me or there being no proficiency awakening factor in him he comprehends there is no proficiency awakening factor in me and he also comprehends how there comes to be the arising of the unarisen proficiency awakening factor and how the arisen proficiency awakening factor comes to fulfillment by development. There being the investigation of Dhamma's awakening factor in him, dot dot dot. There being the energy awakening factor in him, dot dot dot. There being the rapture awakening factor in him, dot dot dot. There being the tranquility awakening factor in him, dot 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 there being the samadhi awakening factor in him dot 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 there being the equanimity awakening factor in him dot 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 the seven awakening factors form a causal chain that can be summarized as proficiency gives rise to dhamma investigation dhamma investigation gives rise to energy Energy gives rise to rapture, rapture gives rise to tranquility, tranquility gives rise to samadhi, and samadhi gives rise to equanimity. Notice that the first three factors describe Satipatthana practice itself. Proficiency introduces Dhamma. Dhamma investigation implements clear comprehension, bringing in the relevant observables. Energy arises as we engage in this practice. That's ardency. And then the rest of the chain brings in samadhi. The fact that these are awakening factors should be a great encouragement for satipatthana contemplation, for that is what this important practice is about. Our task is to comprehend each factor in turn, First, we should recognize in our experience there is the proficiency awakening factor in me or there is no proficiency awakening factor in me. Also, we should comprehend the conditionality of each factor, how there comes to be the arising of the unarisen proficiency awakening factor. The factors form a causal chain, So that should be noted, as well as any other contributing factors. For instance, we might comprehend that sitting cross-legged on a cushion in a quiet room is conducive to the arising of samadhi and its antecedent factors. Finally, the text tells us for each factor that the arisen awakening factor comes to fulfillment by development This refers to perfection of the factor over time through practice. Proficiency is the main focus of development, for its perfection is the complete internalization of Dhamma, the whole point of Satipatthana practice. Comprehending development involves acknowledging that the factor arising now is of greater quality or intensity than in the past. This provides points of feedback for our practice. Let's look at these factors more closely. Proficiency. By the way, since I'm engaged in ongoing rethinking of Satipatthana, I'm always seeking out the best translation of technical terms. I'm quite insistent that we not use mindfulness for Pali sati, because mindfulness came to mean something like non-judgmental awareness in the middle of the 20th century. I've been using proficiency instead. I've recently changed my mind in favor of know-how. The use of the term as the first factor of awakening illustrates my problem with mindfulness. Non-judgmental awareness makes absolutely no sense here. For instance, the Virtue Sutta describes hearing the Dhamma from monks of virtue and wisdom, then begins presenting the factors of awakening as follows. When one has heard the Dhamma from such bhikkhus, one dwells withdrawn by way of two kinds of withdrawal, withdrawal of body and withdrawal of mind. Dwelling thus withdrawn one recollects that dhamma and thinks it over. Whenever bhikkhus, a bhikkhu dwelling thus withdrawn, recollects that dhamma and thinks it over. On that occasion, the awakening factor of proficiency is aroused by the bhikkhu. On that occasion, the bhikkhu develops the awakening factor of proficiency. On that occasion, the awakening Factor of proficiency Proficiency comes to to fulfillment by by development in in the bhikkhu. As the first awakening factor, proficiency picks a dhamma, a dhamma teaching, as a theme for contemplation and brings that dhamma to mind. This is the function of proficiency or know-how. Entering a state of non-judgmental or bare awareness might be nice, but doesn't make any sense here at all. Proficiency provides the Dhamma for the next step. The Virtue Sutta continues. Dwelling thus, he examines that Dhamma with wisdom, investigates it, makes an exploration of it. Whenever, on that occasion, the awakening factor of Dhamma investigation is aroused by the bhikkhu. On that occasion, the bhikkhu develops the awakening factor of dhamma investigation. On that occasion, the awakening factor of dhamma investigation comes to fulfillment by development in the bhikkhu. Although it does not explicitly state it, we can assume that we become acutely attentive to experiential observables by which we might verify that Dhamma. For instance, if the teaching has to do with craving and suffering, we should be ardently intent on evaluating it in terms of our own experience of craving and suffering. While he discriminates that Dhamma with wisdom, examines it, makes an investigation of it, his energy is aroused without slackening. Whenever on that occasion the awakening factor of energy is aroused by the bhikkhu, on that occasion, the bhikkhu develops the awakening factor of energy. On that occasion, the awakening factor of energy comes to fulfillment by development in the bhikkhu. With energy... And non-distraction, we have fulfilled requirements of the Satipatthana method. The awakening factors continue by itemizing two antecedent factors that lead to samadhi. Rapture gives rise to tranquility and tranquility gives rise to samadhi. Have you ever been totally engaged in some activity like fly fishing or playing chess or hang gliding in which you think, there is no place else I would rather be. This is what life is all about. It has to be an activity in which you have developed skill, that is, proficiency or know-how, and you have to be challenged by your skills are up to the task. All cares have disappeared and you feel completely alive. That's rapture. It's a kind of happiness but has a degree of excitement or energy along with a sense of well-being. The sense of well-being along with the conviction that your skills are up to the task and sustained effort is not required turns to tranquility. The mind stills, even while rapture persists. You've probably had this experience in an entirely non-Buddhist context. In a Buddhist context, it's natural for samadhi to follow from rapture and tranquility. The two coexist in samadhi until the third jhana in which tranquility overcomes rapture. Comprehending the seven factors of awakening stands as a confirmation of Satipatthana practice. We observe firsthand the inner working of know-how and comprehension, the first two factors, in the contemplation of Dhamma in terms of observables. We observe firsthand the integration of samadhi into this process. We observe firsthand the presence of spiritual pleasure separate from mundane sensual pleasure in this process as rapture and tranquility and in other accounts with delight and an elevated kind of happiness are added to the list of factors antecedent to samadhi as well. About samadhi itself, we see that it is conditioned by Satipatthana itself, and that it must participate in the investigation initiated in the first two factors. It has to. It would make no sense to begin this investigation that is propelling us toward awakening, only to shut it down by entering a one-pointed trance in which investigation is brought to a halt." Many scholars and teachers would deny that samadhi has these qualities and claim that samadhi requires a special technique to achieve and that it induces a one-pointed mind incapable of any kind of investigation. However, what seems so clear in the seven factors of awakening is confirmed elsewhere. We find That samadhi does indeed arise spontaneously, not only in satipatthana practice, but wherever we are ardently engaged in skillful practice. For instance, monks, for a virtuous person, one whose behavior is virtuous, no volition need be exerted. Let satisfaction arise in me. It is natural that satisfaction arises in one who is virtuous, one whose behavior is virtuous. It is natural that delight arises in one with satisfaction. It is natural that rapture arises in one who is delighted. It is natural that the body of one with a rapturous mind is tranquil. It is natural that one who is tranquil in body feels pleasure. It is natural that the mind of one feeling pleasure is in samadhi. There are many examples like this in the early texts, for instance, in which samadhi arises through those same antecedent states, from memorizing dhamma, reflecting on the triple gem, and so on. At no point is it mentioned that we must one-pointedly focus on the breath or stare at a kasina in order to induce samadhi. This is not to say that samadhi cannot be cultivated in practice. We clearly do that in Buddhist practice in order that the mind is more inclined to enter samadhi spontaneously. Likewise, the involvement of samadhi is described as critical to the goals of satipatthana practice. Its involvement in investigation is confirmed by passages like this. Whatever qualities there are in the first jhana, he ferrets them out one by one. Known to him they remain, known to him they subside. This is repeated for each of the four jhanas, in turn. What is missing in the contention about such matters is the existence of two systems of human cognition. The discursive, explicit system, the system that we notice, and the quiet, effortless, intuitive, implicit system, the system that is largely unconscious, but still capable of deep analysis. Cognitive science tells us about these two systems. Samadhi represents a shift in reliance from the explicit system to the implicit system. The critical nature of its contribution is pointed out repeatedly in the early texts. For instance, when right samadhi does not exist... For one failing right samadhi, the proximate cause is destroyed for knowledge and vision of things as they really are. And then, there is no jhana for one with no wisdom, no wisdom for one without jhana. But one with both jhana and wisdom, he's on the verge of nibbana. Enough Dhamma. Let's look at your observables. Of course, these are the seven factors themselves, which we can learn to recognize quite readily. In fact, the first two begin under deliberate control. But where do we find them? This seems to require a context in which we are already practicing Satipatthana, For instance, contemplating the Sixfold Sphere from last week. But can we then contemplate the Awakening Factors on top of the Sixfold Sphere? That seems implausible. I've tried simply starting by contemplating the Awakening Factors, then letting it contemplate its contemplation of itself. It kind of works. I think this contemplation is best undertaken not as an intense, dedicated practice, but is included in the things we monitor routinely in every exercise. We already check for ardency, the inner operation of know-how and comprehension, the absence of hindrances. The development of jhana and its antecedents provide feedback on how the overall practice is going. Rapture indicates that ardency is high. Tranquility and samadhi track degree of internalization of know-how and so on. All of these checks become internalized and automatic with practice. Next week, we turn to the final exercise in the Satipatthana Sutta concerning THE FOUR NOBLE TRUTHS To learn more about the Rethinking the Satipatthana Project, please go to sirigu.org chintita. That is s-i-t-a-g-u dot org c-i-n-t-i-t-a.